0: Kohl's is just one of those traditional brick-and-mortar retailers with a really large footprint that hasn't really quite figured out how to attract customers the way, say, Target has. Hi, I'm Daphne Howland.
1: And I'm Ben Unglesby.
0: We're senior reporters with Retail Dive, and this is our podcast where we break down the biggest industry news and trends. And talk
1: about some of the things that don't always make it into our stories.
0: This is The Backroom.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Backroom. Today we are talking about Kohl's, activist investors, and private equity. Daphne, you've been writing well we've both been writing about some of the uh, the activists interest in Kohl's and and some of the uh, conflict there between activist investors and the Coles the leadership and board. Daphne, maybe you want to start us off with a, a quick rundown of, of what is happening. All of this has led to a couple of bids for Kohl's and reported bids for Coles from private investors. But maybe maybe for, for everyone out there who, who hasn't been following it as closely as you have, just kind of give us an idea of w- you know what is happening and why. Why is this happening right now? Why, why are people wanting Kohl's to sell itself? Why are people interested in buying Kohl's?
0: Yeah, it's good to back up and take a look at that. Part of the deal is Kohl's is a department store. That whole sector is sort of underperforming in retail. The other thing about Cole specifically is that like Macy's, it really expanded right when the department store as a model started to decline. They've got hundreds and hundreds of stores. They do have an advantage in that most of them are in strip centers, which is the place to be these days, as opposed to the mall. But they mostly sell apparel. They have that department store model, meaning they have huge stores and a question about what to do with all that space at a time when people are buying a lot of things, you know, online and places like Target and Walmart. So Kohl's is just one of those traditional brick and mortar retailers with a really large footprint that hasn't really quite figured out how to attract Customers, the way, say, Target has, I mean, they've done all the things that you're supposed to do these days. They've revamped their private labels. They have have partnerships with strong brands, but they're really dependent on their loyalty program, which is Kohl's Cash, which really adds up to huge discounts, meaning their best customers are also the ones that are getting discounts that intrude on their margins, like Macy's, Kohl's is facing pressure to think about major changes to their operations, either spinning off its e-commerce or selling itself. And to the point where, as you said, a couple of weeks ago, they got two bids from financial firms, and now they have to contend with them. Although they've, you know, said that the bids are inadequate and the board passed a poison pill, which means it's really not possible for a hostile takeover to happen.
1: But but they also left open the door that they would consider other bids and potentially higher bids, correct?
0: I mean, they probably have to. If they're saying the bids are inadequate, that means if the bids come in any higher, the game restarts, basically.
1: Yeah. As I, as I like to say, the entire world is for sale if the price is exactly. right. <laughs> exactly. Just, if, if, it's just a matter of price point, whether someone is absolutely not for sale and, and for sale.
0: So, I mean, the question for investors or for these would-be suitors, these financial firms, is, is there value in parts of Kohl's that isn't being reflected in its share price and what
1: and i wonder like about to what extent is coal's actually an operational problem i mean they they certainly they have competitive issues they have landscape issues maybe they have long-term existential issues but until until 2020 which was a tough year for everyone until 2020 they've been profitable and and it's wavered, but they've been—you know—they made more than half a billion dollars, well over half a billion dollars, I should say. You know, historically, up until the the pandemic, uh, in in net income a year, and and that's a lot more. That, that's more than a lot of retailers can say, honestly, dur- during those years, during the later years of the 2010s.
0: I I wonder for you know the vulnerability that we're talking about, where Kohl's may be for sale. If it's really a matter of looking at a retail model that almost has a ceiling when it comes to innovation, their e-commerce is pretty strong. They do a pretty good job. You know, they've It's much improved. Even their stores are much improved compared to a couple of years ago. And like I said, they're doing all the right things. The question is, are Target and Walmart actually being more innovative than Kohl's and Macy's? and if the answer is yes if target and walmart are doing better when it comes to various operational or merchandising moves then i think investors that's when they want some pretty drastic change
1: yeah and the interesting thing about kohls to me just as a as a shopper and and you know you know the retailer better than i do as a shopper they seem to be in kind of an interesting no man's land between In terms of value between other department stores, namely Macy's and Off Price, like they're lower priced than other department stores and other apparel stores, but they're not as low priced as Off Price. And and, and first of all, I, I don't know if you if you would agree with that, but if true, then how how big is their potential market? can they capture off-price customers? Can they get off-price? Uh, you know, do they plant themselves next to off-price and complement an off-price? Or, or are they closer in their DNA to, to your traditional department store?
0: I think that Kohl's probably has customers in common with off-price and with, say, Macy's. I'm not saying those are exact customers. The Kohl's customer that really makes it work, I think, is the one that pays attention to Kohl's cash, because those dollars back really reduce the price. that's on the price tag. That's a game that not everyone is willing to play. I mean, it means going back all the time. It means keeping track of that stuff. The mess that is the off-price store, the racks and racks of stuff, and not particularly beautiful merchandising, that's all part of the deal. People know that. They're willing to to kind of paw through those racks and find find that treasure. It's literally part of the game. You don't want to be doing that at Kohl's. But then that price tag that you see, for me, it's prohibitive for what you get at Kohl's, but it's it's not the real price, you know? It's if I'm if I'm the customer who's willing to keep track of all the Kohl's cash, the the forty-four dollars for a sweater or whatever is actually much lower than that. So, part of that is existential. If you can find a better value at an off price store or at Target for what you get, then it's less of a reason to go to Kohl's. It's tough. Um, I think that explains why Kohl's has been coming up with giving people new reasons to go to Kohl's, which includes Sephora, Shop and Shops, and Amazon Returns. That's all about getting people into the stores. And Macy's, you know, talks a similar game. I think Kohl's and Macy's are both trying to appeal to younger consumers. And anytime they see any kind of increase in attention, whether it's online or in stores from younger customers, that means, you know, they're going to brag about it. But I think it remains to be seen really, whether Amazon Returns or the Sephora shops are going to contribute many more sales to Kohl's itself. Michelle Gass, the CEO of Kohl's, says that it's meaningful, but we have never gotten anything broken out. And, uh, you know, some analysts are still pretty skeptical about that. The question for you, though, Ben, is now we have bids on the table for Kohl's from financial firms who are not in the business of retail. They're in the business of finding value and assessing and maximizing value. What does it mean for Kohl's if one of these firms successfully acquires it?
1: Yeah, I think that's the big question. And it's it's not necessarily the question that gets <laughs> that gets asked by boards, although boards should ask it. And it's not the the kind the question that equity analysts and the activist investors are asking because a lot of times what happens next is, you know, out of their realm of their responsibilities. I mean, when you look at the history of private equity acquisitions and, and, and it was reported, it hasn't, I don't believe it's been confirmed. It's been reported that Sycamore Partners was one of the firms that made a bid and, and they, they, have, uh, they have a long history of, of acquisitions in the retail space, including Staples was one of the most recent ones. They almost bought Victoria's Secret, but that kind of fell apart during the pandemic. Several apparel companies. Private equity has a long history in retail. It really kind of picked up in the first two decades of the 21st century. We have been tracking it, you know, starting in 2017 when when bankruptcies really picked up. You know, we we started a project. We compiled a bunch of data, uh, some of it from outside firms um, like PitchBook and Accurus. and then we've done a lot of our own research, just trying to find every single acquisition that we could mainly in the uh, legacy retail side of the business by private equity. And then looking to see of all of those acquisitions, uh, which ones have filed for chapter 11 at some point after the acquisition. Our most recent calculation this year, the the figure is 40%. So of... of, uh around 110 acquisitions going back to like 2002 by private equity 40% have filed for bankruptcy so that and that doesn't even capture like out of court restructurings uh you know those are that are distressed today and could be bankrupt tomorrow so i w- i would imagine there's quite a bit more distress out there than even that number captures uh, i i think it's probably you know you could easily say uh, well over a majority of acquisitions have ended in bankruptcy or, or financial distress. And, and the reason is simple. You, you, especially in, in a case with Kohl's and what a lot of these acquisitions have been, private equity has, has acquired a struggling company. I mean, this, the, the strategy is to acquire a struggling company. You see value in it because its stock price it is low, and it also makes it more open and more vulnerable to an acquisition. Its stock price is low. You buy the company, you buy the company through a leveraged buyout, so you you buy the company with loans and, and issue bonds that then stay with the acquired company, put up some cash yourself if you're the private equity firm, but in a lot of cases, not that much. And then you try to turn the company around and sell it when it's performing better or the economy's better or whatever and make a profit. But you put a lot of debt on a retail company and... Problems merch. <laughs> I mean, it's a tough world out there for retailers. It's competitive, it's a difficult operating environment. You have to manage real estate, you have to stay ahead of trends, you have to do good forecasting, and have good IT, and good omni channel, and good, you know, analytics, and all this stuff. If you're paying tens of millions of dollars a year, just to pay debt from a leveraged buyout, you're not going to have as much money to invest in your business. And then on top of the debt from the buyout, a lot of firms will a lot of private equity firms will pay themselves dividends from the company they acquired, which are also financed by debt. Um, they also pay themselves management fees. Sometimes they spin off assets, sell properties, spin off companies. so that's more money out the, out of the company that's not being invested and can deepen deepen distress for the executives in charge and and the board especially who are making a decision about whether to sell to private equity company you know they're kind of caught between their shareholders who they have a fiduciary responsibility to and potentially down the road creditors
0: no it's an it's an interesting situation because when you think about Kohl's, it occurs to me so as these firms look to acquire a retailer and maximize or somehow extract value from the elements of that business that hold value. In the past, like with Sears, it was often real estate. That was the big draw. And and Macy's and more recently, Kohl's real estate was mentioned. But Macy's has faced activist investors who push it to divest its real estate and capture some of that money. It makes me wonder if the fact that department stores like Kohl's and Macy's have finally gotten their digital operations to a point where they report some pretty strong, you know, e-commerce is a pretty strong source of revenue for them. If it's now actually looked at as a valuable part of the business, whereas before it was, you know, immature. A few years ago the e-commerce operations of some of these retailers were pretty immature. Now that they're strong, does that make them vulnerable to a firm that says this is a, you know, a section of your company that could be extracted or chopped off or somehow manipulated to gain the appropriate value from it?
1: Yeah. Well and and that raises that raises a General point too, I mean, we, we've tracked private equity pretty thoroughly because, because of all the bankruptcies and because we kept seeing private equity owned companies and formerly private equity owned companies coming up again and again in bankruptcies in 2017, 2018, 2019, and today still. But that's a good reminder that you don't have to be private equity to weaken a company through financial engineering, you know, take property sales. Macy's has been pushed in the past to sell its property. Kohl's is being pushed to sell its property. It can do that in a deal with private equity. It could do it outside of it, you know, on its own. And and the idea is, you know, you sell these assets. There's value in these assets that are that are trapped there. You monetize them. You pass the cash on to your investors. Well, guess what? Now you have a giant liability on your balance sheet, just as if you would go, I mean, not not necessarily to the same extent, but almost as though you have gone through a, a leveraged buyout or you've done a, a debt finance dividend, because when you sell your property, you have to start renting and those leases become a become a liability on your your balance sheet. Quite literally, though, you'll you'll see it on the balance sheet in SEC filing. That, in turn, can raise the cost of borrowing because your owned property is taken into consideration by the ratings agencies. So your your credit rating could go down. As a result, you could pay more for financing. And then there again, you're paying more money because of financialization. And that's money that you could have been putting back in your business. Also, you have to deal with landlords. (laughs) And as we've seen over the past couple of years, that can be kind of tense. And if you don't have the, the right leases at the right costs, it can cause problems. I mean, the difference between an unprofitable and a profitable store can come down to a lease and come down to the structure of a lease. Um, you can operate a profitable store with less sales if you own the real estate. So the, the owned real estate has been a part of the, the department stores model and Macy's and Kohl's for all of their problems. From a sales perspective and from a competitive perspective, they've been, up until the pandemic, they've been profitable. And part of that is because they own their real estate. And you sell it all and you give the cash to your investors, you're going to be less profitable, probably. And you're going to be in a weakened financial state. So it's a huge trade-off that, that needs to be taken under consideration. Shareholders have every reason to love it. But is it for in the best interest, best long-term interest of the company? Not necessarily.
0: This actually sounds like strength number two after e-commerce. Kohl's, you know, has a pretty strong e-commerce operation. The other thing that people have long said about Kohl's is they're in these, you know, open air strip type shopping centers that are much more convenient than malls, much more attractive than malls. And I know that right now we're talking February 2022, those landlords are among those with the most power right now as far as demanding leases and being choosy about which retailers are renting space. So that sounds like yet another strength that Kohl's has always enjoyed potentially becoming the thing that attracts private equity or financial firms to sort of pick on it and extract that value Um, because they could. They could end up Maybe selling those strip center properties at a pretty good premium because of the demand. But then once they have those leases, those are going to be more expensive than, say, a mall lease.
1: Well, in a lot, I mean, a lot of mall retailers, uh, like department store anchors, I believe, pretty frequently have really sweetheart deals on their leases because they're the anchor and the landlord doesn't want them to leave. Where their Kohl's would enjoy the same kind of privilege in a strip center. I, I honestly don't know. It's a question for a real estate person, but it's a it, it's a question to ask.
0: This has been a really interesting discussion and Ben, I know for both of us this story is not finished. So
1: Yeah, I I would say I would say definitely not. I mean whether or not yeah, there there could be a deal, there could be no deal even if there's not a deal is Cole's going to make concessions. I mean are they going to try and finance a bunch of new stock buybacks or are they going to sell real estate any all sorts of things could happen both potentially to its advantage and and disadvantage so it'll it'll be interesting to see how it plays out
0: and meanwhile if they do fend off all this attention and manage to hang on to their operation as is. They still have to contend with the fact that they are a department store that needs to figure out how to run their business in an era when that model is just itself struggling.
1: This episode of The Backroom is produced and edited by Caroline Jansen. Please be sure to like, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.